Good morning, Common Ground family. My name is Ophelia Abrams, and I'm from the Durbanville Congregation. Today, I'll be doing the reading from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see, people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother with the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they had said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita Ko'om, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Wow, thanks Ophelia and the Durbanville congregation. It's just so good to be a family of churches teaming together in this time. Hello everyone, my name's Roger and along with Nick's, uh, my wife, we give leadership to the Common Ground Bloberg congregation and it's just fantastic to be here today and uh, to continue in the journey looking through uh, the story uh, of Jesus in the book of Mark. 
And uh, today's passage is, uh, is a fascinating passage. In fact, it's known as the St. Jude chapter. Chapter 5 is known as the St. Jude chapter for one amazing reason. St. Jude was the patron saint of hopeless causes. Now, a bit of a downer to start with, right? But, but really, this passage is filled with a whole bunch of hopeless causes. And uh, let me tell you a little bit of background, even to why I'm standing here today. Um, I wasn't uh, initially set up or planned to preach today. But, um, and in fact, my brother Andre in Tambwe, who leads the Common Ground Weinberg congregation, was uh, poised and ready to preach but a, a week and a half ago until he got the tragic news that uh, his brother had passed away. And this uh, in a string of a number of real uh, challenges and losses to Andre and Sabrina has just been a real blow to them. And uh, I am privileged to stand up, but I do want to stand along with all the Common Ground Church family across the city to just say to Andre and Sabrina and the Weinberg congregation, we're standing with you. We're, we're praying with you and we love you deeply and trusting God's comfort and his love in this really uh, difficult time. We love you. Along with that, I found myself uh, getting the call and being asked to preach. And, and I myself was in an interesting space when it came to, to preaching. Uh, I was asked to preach this message and uh, I had a, uh, had a fantastic lockdown, if I can call it that. The initial stages of lockdown were a little bit of a uh, honeymoon experience for me. There was, a, there was new creativity. There was new time spent with family. I found myself uh, filled with a sense of anticipation for what the new future could look like. And if you're anything like me, um, that, that early stage of lockdown was, was a fairly encouraging and exciting one because everything was new. But come about three or four weeks ago, the lockdown blues hit me and they hit me pretty hard. It, 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 it was something of that running out maybe of that initial excitement, uh, running out of that initial sense of everything can be new and fresh and, and found myself just experiencing a level of discouragement, disappointment, even frustration and anger at just some of the ways things were panning out globally, personally and, uh, and in general. And uh, when I got asked to preach this message, I took a look at the text and my first look was one of amazement. And I want to share with you a little bit of the story because as I read this text, the lockdown blues were met with a God of amazing grace. And I found myself not zipping out and, and suddenly overjoyed and, and jumping over the, you know, uh, with excitement, but I found myself being gently and tenderly pulled towards Jesus. And it's my prayer if you too have had a bit of a rough season, have maybe felt like this lockdown experience, this COVID experience has started to get to you in a real way. I pray that as we go through this text, the same would be true for you, that something of Jesus' mercy, something of his grace, this text is loaded with the tenderness of God and yet the courage of God to pull us into his story. And we pick up the story in, a, in an interesting space. It's a little bit of a Black Friday experience. If you've been to Canal Walk in the early morning at, of Black Friday and you've been outside a place like Game, you will know that the crowds are tight and everybody is packing in and the sliding doors are bulging as people are trying to get their, uh, their new uh, Hisense TV or they're trying to get a big load of nappies in my case or whatever else it may be. And there's this, this group of people that are tight. It's the same in the, when we pick up the story here. 
You see, Jesus is, has moved from the east side of the lake where uh, he was uh, able to perform two incredible miracles. As he's crossing over the, the Sea of Galilee, he calms the storm, which was just incredible, proving his power over nature and danger. And his disciples are just wowed. He then gets to the other side and he shows his grace and his power over this demon-possessed man, proving that he's able to heal the most broken of pasts. And then he crosses back over to the west side, to the more Jewish traditional side of the lake. And again, the crowds are all around him. This Black Friday crowd experience is just all over him. And we're going to pick up something fascinating about what Jesus is like. We're going to pick up that Jesus himself is interruptible. New word for the day, interruptible. Jesus himself is interruptible. You see, Jesus is a man on a mission. We're picking up as we track the story of Mark that Jesus is a representation of God himself on earth. He has incarnated God to the world and he's showing the world what he's like. But amazingly, we're going to pick up at least three times in this story that the great God of the universe who, who loves so much, who has so much to say and so much healing to bring is himself interruptible. He's willing to be interrupted. And there's three main role players in this story. There's the two key figures. There are, uh, there's Jairus, and we'll get to know him, and, the, and uh, the lady who's got the disease. We've got the crowds on the other side. And then, of course, the VIP of the story is always Jesus himself. And as you're listening to the story, ask yourself, where do you relate? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to, to engage with the story and let God minister to you as we go through it. So I've basically got the structure. I've got three interruptions we're going to look at, and then we're going to ask one big question. Like I mentioned, it's a high action story, and, and it starts with high action. The crowds are throbbing around Jesus. He's arrived back onto the western uh, Jewish side of the lake, and suddenly he gets interrupted. Suddenly he gets interrupted, and, and these interruptions that Jesus thrives on are not just ordinary interruptions. He thrives on interruptions of faith, interruptions of faith. And the first interruption we pick up is the interruption of Jairus. No doubt Jesus is addressing the crowd. He's speaking to them and he's obviously giving some fantastic teachings and greetings. And in through the crowd comes this synagogue ruler named Jairus. And the text says he falls at his feet. He falls at his feet and he shows this level of desperation and he tells the story of how his 12-year-old daughter is dying and is in desperate need of Jesus' help. And Jairus says, if you would just come and you would touch her, we know she will be healed. Notice the faith in Jairus' voice. I'm a dad of three daughters. I know exactly what it feels like to feel a desperation. In fact, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in a meeting um, in Rondebosch and I got a call from Nikki to say our oldest daughter, Chloe, had fallen off a bar stool and uh, was now, uh, had gone unconscious for a number of seconds and she was rushing her to the hospital. Now, I could barely even think before I got out of that, uh, that space, the meeting I was in, hardly even said anything to the people I was meeting with and rushed out to go and get in the car and go to see my daughter. A father's instincts with his daughter are powerful, let me tell you that. And Jairus is expressing this. But, but who is Jairus? He's a synagogue ruler. A synagogue ruler is someone with high responsibility. 
with lots of respect. He's got a, an amazing reputation in his society. People look up to him. He would have been a, a teacher often during the Sabbath. He would have given oversight to the synagogue and some of the administration around that. And, and interestingly, he wasn't a full-time paid uh, sort of priest in, in that time. He would have had a marketplace job. So he had, a, had respect on both sides in the marketplace and in the, the sort of spiritual society. This was a man of amazing reputation. And yet he himself throws himself upon Jesus and pleads for help. He pleads for Jesus to heal him. Notice how he is willing to get over his own reputation. And, and amazingly, Jesus with a crowd in front of him says, I'll go. And they start to walk towards his house. And this crowd continues to walk with them. And they're going towards Jairus' daughter. And you can imagine it if you bring it into a modern world. You've got uh, the extroverts who are coming up next to Jesus and trying to take selfies. And you've got the introverts who are trying to take a photo and they're posting it on Instagram and Facebook because they've heard rumors that Jesus is a miracle worker. Some are loving this, this exposure to him. And yet interestingly, there's only one at the moment who's wanting an experience of him. There's only Jairus who's calling on Jesus for an experience. And whilst they're walking, Jesus has set his mind to go and help Jairus' daughter. Another interruption happens. A second faith interruption comes Jesus' way. Let's read again this part. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up uh, behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. There's this lady who, as Jesus is en route to Jairus' 12-year-old daughter to go heal her, it's told that she herself is in desperate need of Jesus' healing. 12 years. Notice the correlation. A 12-year-old daughter. And she's been suffering for 12 years. And she crawls and, and does her best to get amongst this throbbing crowd to get as close as she can to Jesus so that she can just touch his cloak. Because she believes that if she touches his cloak, she'll be healed. Let's just consider for a moment, 12 years. Hey, for many of us, and I experienced it for myself, the three months of, of lockdown, what, what, what pain many of us felt in terms of isolation. Now let's get into this lady's shoes. She would have experienced 12 years of a kind of self-isolation, a kind of self-quarantine as she herself needed to deal with the fact that she had a disease that was incurable. And in that time, there was a huge amount of suspicion and, and reason to, to keep distance from people who had uh, diseases that were incurable. This left her feeling isolated, distanced, and no doubt deeply ashamed. What, what might she have been going through by way of her confidence taking a massive knock? Her sense of self-worth being absolutely at an all-time low. She would have, not only that, she had spent all her money. She was totally out of 
money. She had spent everything she could on trying to get some sort of physicians to help her in this difficult scenario. She was at the bottom of the barrel. She was at the end of herself and she knew that Jesus was there and that he was her only chance. Jesus, amazingly, it starts the story. We pick up, he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And his disciples are obviously just dismayed. I mean, really, Jesus, what kind of a question is that? We've imagined this crowd that's around him. We can't imagine why he would ask such an absurd question. His disciples say, seriously? How can you ask who touched you when you're in such a massive crowd of people? Everyone's bumping into you. But Jesus actually understands something that we didn't. He, he physically would have felt a sense of power that came out of him to heal. And he felt that whilst many people bumped up against him, only one person had touched his clothes with faith. Only one person had approached him with faith. And he asks the question, who was it? Like a good investigator, he stops and he assesses his surroundings and he starts to ask the question, who touched me? But this wasn't an interrogation. It wasn't in anger. It was in deep love. There's this amazing sense that Jesus would not progress. He would not walk any further until he found out who was it that came to touch me. You see, this is an important thing to understand that Jesus is more interested in giving us himself than he is in giving us a miracle. He was more interested in reaching into the life of this lady than he was in just giving her a miracle. This is, this is something that we need to maybe just think about for ourselves. Why do we come to Jesus? Because when Jesus comes to us, he looks at our whole lives like he looked at this lady's life and he wants to give us a full healing. In fact, the word that, you, that the lady uses when she expects and says, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll get a healing, is this Greek word sudzo. It's not the word that just speaks of a physical healing. The majority of the times it's used in the, in the scriptures, it's used to describe saving. It's used to describe a whole holistic experience of God's saving work. Physical, emotional, relational. He restores all things. And so he looks out and tries to find this lady because he is deeply intent on wanting to bring full restoration to her. Eventually, she comes trembling to him. And we don't know why she comes trembling. Maybe because she was seen as unclean and she was nervous that she would now touch the, have touched the rabbi and made him unclean. Maybe just because of 12 years of, of self-isolation, confidence was just at an all-time low and she's feeling terribly shy to be in front of all these people. But she comes and it says she told the whole truth. And amazingly, Jesus gives her what she never expected. More than getting a physical healing, she goes home with a new identity. He speaks to her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he gives her this new word. When she uh, that morning woke up, she may have hoped to get a healing, but she didn't dream that she would be called daughter by the living God. Hey, I, I, I hope that today, whatever you're coming to Jesus with, that you go home with way more than you bargained for because you understand that he wants more than a miracle for you. He wants all of himself to be engaged with all 
of who you are. As he finishes this incredible, miraculous moment, no doubt people are looking, going, really? Did this just happen? Did he just heal another person? Comes a third and more saddening interruption. This time, uh, some of Jairus' servants come and they say, don't bother the leader anymore. Don't bother the rabbi. Don't bother Jesus. Your daughter has died. I don't know how Jairus, it doesn't say in the story how he responded, but we do see how Jesus responds. We do see how Jesus responds. It's as if Jesus continues that set face towards Jairus' daughter and he says these words, don't be afraid, just believe. And you get the feeling that he grabs his three disciples and he grabs Jairus by the arm and he says, let's go. You see, sometimes our faith is not everything we need. God in his mercy doesn't call you to have perfect faith. He actually says, just have a little faith and I will meet you more than halfway. Jairus' faith wasn't perfect and we see that nor was this lady. She got her healing and she slunk away and Jesus pursued her. Jairus gets the bad news that his daughter is dead and Jesus moves towards him and he says, come, don't be afraid, just believe. Wasn't this a beautiful picture of a God who keeps meeting us beyond halfway? A God who continues to show his amazing love? Let's go. Let me show you what I can do. Not only am I God over nature and and dangers and demons and disease, but let me show you I'm God over death as well. Death itself. And he calls Jairus. And they move towards Jairus' house. And when they get there, there is a massive commotion. In those days, there would be the more wealthy the person, the more people would be there who would be paid to mourn and to express their mourning and their wailing. And it would be a, a real commotion as people were respecting the loss of a life. And Jesus looks at this commotion and he asks this question almost tongue in cheek. And he says, why the commotion? And then he says, she's just sleeping. Now, everybody knew that she had passed away. And they were mortified by this. And so what they do in their rational minds is they laugh at Jesus. They laugh at him. What is he thinking? She's not sleeping. She is definitely dead. We watched her breathe her last breath. And Jesus, in his amazing love again, he lessens the crowd And he walks into the house and he just takes Jairus and his wife and his two disciples and they go into the room. And there he says these amazing words, Talitha Kumi, Talitha Kumi, little girl, arise. And this little girl breathes again. She breathes the breath of life as Jesus shows that he has authority over everything, including death itself. Isn't this an amazing story? Maybe this is a good moment for you to pick up some of the similarities. I don't know if you've picked it up. Uh, Theologians call this a Markian sandwich, a Markian sandwich. Notice the two stories both have 12 years. Isn't that fascinating? A a 12-year suffering for the lady and a 12-year-old child. It's amazing. Notice that both of them are females. Both would have been seen uh, in in a kind of minority, those who were uh, marginalized in society in that time. And Jesus moves towards them. Hey, not only that, Jesus gets ridiculed both times he moves towards healing them. 
Remember his disciples say, what are you doing? You can't, who do you, you, so many people have touched you. When he gets to Jairus' house, you can't think you're going to do anything. She's dead. He gets ridiculed in both stories. Also, both stories, there is an unclean experience. Whereas in the sense that if Jesus were to touch either of these two bodies, he would be termed unclean. And there's this wonderful parallel that Jesus needs to get unclean so that he can make us clean. And that's what he does. And amazingly, both stories have daughters in it. He speaks to them as daughters. Mark is trying to show you that he's given great thought to how these stories work and how detailed God is in bringing about your and my restoration. And so Jesus looks at this little girl and he says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, arise. And he brings her to life. Now, what's amazing again is that he, he does something fascinating. One, he says, give her something to eat. Uh, apparently, being dead makes you hungry. But anyway, uh, it seems like he cares so much about her that he says, give her something to eat. He's not just interested in giving them a miracle. He's interested in the life. And then he cares so much for her future that he says, see to it that you don't tell anyone the story. Yes, it might have been for his own personal reasons and his own ministry, but also he cared about this little girl, that she didn't become the next big news article, but she was looked after and her reputation was looked after and that she grew up to be a person who knew and loved and understood God. So I've got a question. After looking at these incredible stories, at looking at a, at a God who shows himself to be amazingly interruptible, a God who loves to be interrupted by people with faith, who believe that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he promises he'll do. I have this question. Why only two? Why? In a crowd filled with people, I know today as well as then that if you're in a crowd of people, more than five people, that there are at least four of them who need real present help. In fact, every human being, says the scriptures, need help. My question is, is why were so many of them so content to be in the crowd and to proverbially take photos from a distance and post them and, and to share stories of how they had been around Jesus. But only two could say they had encountered Jesus. Why were so many content with a secondhand experience of Jesus when he showed himself to want to have firsthand encounters with people? In a time where we are isolated, where we spend our times looking at so many different screens. I find myself aware of the dangers and the realities of how much we too could become content with a kind of secondhand experience of Jesus. How we too could find ourselves content to watch a sermon, to listen to a podcast. Nothing wrong with those. We've got to do it. It's how we're doing church, right? But if that's the end, we may be missing out on the beginning of the very best stuff that God has for us. You see, I don't mind secondhand stuff. In fact, I love it. I, I love finding out a, a secondhand deal every now and again because it's just going to be so thrilling. But when it comes to your faith, Jesus is not content with you having a secondhand encounter with him. 
He wants you with him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to be with him just like he was with this lady, with Jairus, with Jairus' daughter. He wants more than a miracle for you. He wants to give you himself. I wonder today if we are potentially at risk of being lulled into a false sense of comfort as we watch from a distance, as we share stories of associations that we are connected to, people who know or love Jesus. But we ourselves today, I believe, are being called to engage with him, to encounter him. The questions you may want to ask of this crowd was, why did some people rather choose reputation over transformation? Why did some people choose the safety of self-pity rather than the freedom of self-forgetfulness? Why did some bow to fear rather than set their fears before the God who is over everything? Hey, why did some prefer to be right in their own rational minds rather than be awed by the goodness of Jesus who transcends some of our logic, who is God over, who is authoritative over uh, danger and death and disease and demons themselves. Why? Today, I want to urge you, you don't need great faith. You just need a little faith. I think of what Catherine Kuhlman says so amazingly when she says, I am not a woman with great faith in God. I am a woman with a little faith in a great God. Notice the story. It's not a story of two people with perfect faith. Both of them shied away when the, when the real going got tough. The lady touched Jesus' cloak and tried to sneak away. Jairus' daughter passed away and we hear nothing from him. But amazingly, a very good God reveals that he is more intent on loving us than we are on being loved by him. And it's our call by faith to continue to trust that he will always continue to move towards us, to love us. It reminds me of the prodigal son story. Just to tell you another one. Just think about that story. Those of you that have read it, Luke chapter 15. It's just a, an incredible moment. This prodigal son has gone and squandered his life. He's, he's spent his father's money. He's done all kinds of silly things. It reminds me a lot of my own life and the amount of dumb decisions I've made and dumb things that I've done. And yet, amazingly, this prodigal son comes to his senses. He says, I'm going to go back to my father, symbolizing God and his amazing love. And the story says it like this. When the father saw him from a long way off, it says that the father pulled up his cloak. He obviously in those days had a whole bunch of garments. He pulls them up, becomes undignified and races towards his son who is so far away, who's only shown the slightest indication that he's on his way home. And the father meets him way more than halfway. Friends, today it's not a 50-50 deal here. It's a case of doing our best to, to move through the crowd, doing our best to, to push through some of the distractions and the noise and, and all the other things that are trying to cause us to be content, to be happy with the secondhand experience of Jesus till we get to him. And we get to him by faith. The beauty of the story of scripture is that all 7 billion of us human beings can enjoy Jesus personally and powerfully all at the same time. That's what happened. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going eventually after he had died and, 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 and resurrected. And he said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. 
And now that he sent his Holy Spirit, it's not for a select few. It's for all. Whoever would want to enjoy God can come to him by faith, can enjoy his amazing love, can come to him and know that he is with us. Where are you at today? What's God calling you to? What does faith look like for you in this time? Is it potentially that you ask him for healing? I know that Jesus still heals today. He really does. I can't explain the mystery of why he heals some and doesn't heal all. But, but maybe today it's to, to call on him for physical healing. Maybe it's to just receive help. Maybe you've been going it alone. You're, you're white-knuckling it. You're, you're being tough, but you haven't received some of his help or, or just help from others. Maybe it's about forgiving, saying you forgive somebody. It's a choice in your heart you make by faith because you know that God is the final judge of all people. Maybe it's about setting an alarm clock for tomorrow morning because more than anything else, you want to be with Jesus before you do anything or be anyone else. You want to be a person who's with God. Maybe it's about some generosity. Maybe it's about saying, sorry, I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that he's calling us today to have a firsthand faith, a firsthand encounter, a life that isn't content with secondhand. A life that isn't content to look from a distance, take a pick and say, I've seen him because he has so much more for us. In a couple of moments, we're going to take communion and we're going to utilize this uh, opportunity because communion really is Jesus' greatest gift to us to live by faith. And uh, if you want to uh, include the kids, now's a great time to maybe call them. If you're happy to take communion without the kids or there aren't kids in the home, absolutely stay focused and enjoy this moment. But communion is an incredible gift that Jesus gives to all of us. It's, it's in a way, it's his, it's his way of saying, would you reach out? Would you touch me? He, he says to his disciples, I give you this bread and I give you this this blood that is representative of my blood that is shed for you. This is my body. This is my blood. It's a, it's a representation that he's not content to stay on the peripheries of our life, but he wants us to ingest him, to take him in, to experience him by faith, to live off of him and no one else. Friends, today we're going to have an opportunity to, to say yes by faith. I don't know what all the other implications are for your life, Maybe it's for you to say yes to him for the first time. I really believe that as some are listening, you're listening and you're saying, I don't know this Jesus. I've never heard of this one. The one I know is an angry God, a God who's distant. I've never heard of this one. Maybe for you, it's to, it's to say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's your first time you're taking communion by faith. Maybe you need to rush off, push pause, go grab a, 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 some bread, go grab some, some red juice and, and, and find yourself coming to Jesus by faith, ready to say thank you. Thank you that you embodied into humanity, that you came and lived amongst us and showed us who God is. Thank you that you died the death that we should have died. You lived a perfect life, we didn't, and yet you died. Thank you that you rose again and finally and fully showed that you are God over death itself. Hey, thank you that you can now, by the power of your spirit, give me a personal experience of your love. This is an opportunity for us to move towards God by faith. And I'm not going to do it for you. This is an opportunity for you to do that. And so if you could, with me, stand up.
right now, that would be fantastic. If it's possible, that would be cool. And we're going to, I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. And then a song is going to play. And there's not going to be words on the screen. It's just going to be an opportunity for you to meditate, to pray, to pray with the people that you're with if you've got some people together. And to simply move to Jesus by faith, to thank him for his broken body, to thank him for his shed blood, to let him love you in this time, to let him show his authority over death, disease, danger, and everything else that is in this world. Communion is a great gap. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are exactly who you say you are. We thank you that you do exactly what you promise you will do. And today we come to you by faith. We come to you discontent to watch you from a distance. And we thank you for the gift that communion is, that we can move towards you and thank you and enjoy you and symbolically feed off of your amazing love. And so today we do that. Each person in our own space, with our own story, with our own journey, with our own pain, with our own shame, with our own hopes, with our own dreams. We thank you that nothing dies, that you don't let die, that you don't want to bring back to life for your glory. God, for many people, there's been a sense that something has been lost. But Jesus, I pray that in your grace and your mercy, just like you walked into that little girl's room, that you would breathe calling, that you would breathe grace back into each person's life, that we would know that you are with us, that you care for us. In your name, Jesus, amen. You're gonna take communion in this time and take your time and simply reflect and let the song wash over you and the words will come up in a couple of moments and you can sing along. But in this time, simply just enjoy the presence of Jesus and take communion as you will in your own time.